as you've asked me that question, that, that whole feeling has come back. You know, I can feel the fear at the pit of my stomach right now. Welcome to Everyday Leadership, a podcast where I interview leaders not defined by position or title. Everyday people who lead their lives in extraordinary ways. And on this podcast, they share their stories, their life lessons and practical tools in the hope that it will inspire everyday people like you and me to realize we are everyday leaders. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Leadership. And today I have um, my friend Joyce Assay with us. Joyce is a business analyst, a diversity and inclusion advocate, and she is an author with probably, what, 15, like 20 years in the game in different client-facing roles in different industries. And we're just going to delve into there around authenticity, about writing a book, around confidence, and um, so much more. How are you doing, Joyce? I'm so excited to be here. I've been waiting for this conversation. Looking forward to it. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad you've been looking forward to it. And as always, you yeah. know, I I like to start at the start. I like to go way back to the origin story just to see how people arrive to what they do right now. So what would that origin story look like for you? Okay. So for me... I'll start it from where um, my career in media, media sales, essentially. And um, so I've worked in publishing for over 10 years and um, had a stint on uh, national newspapers. That's where I actually started my career, selling those uh, little boxes, classified advertising. And then went on to work in, um, I moved into the, yeah, I moved into the B2B space, uh, working on a cosmetics magazine, which again, that was less of the end product, but more around the people that create the bottles or source the aloe vera that goes into the actual product. Um, and I would sell advertising around that in a, in, in a monthly magazine. And from there, I then moved into financial publishing. And that's where I spent a significant amount of my career. And I started working at a a global uh, financial publishing company and was very much inspired by the leader there, the the, the founder, one of the founders. And And this is one memory that really sticks with me. On my first day, as part of the induction with all the other new recruits, he said to us, you know, feel free to make mistakes, but just don't keep making the same ones. And the other thing that he said was, just understand what is it the customer needs, and if we don't have it, then create it. And so he really kind of enabled us from that first day to think entrepreneurially, if that's like an entrepreneur, and just create, be able to create things for your clients. Um, and that, that was a great um, foundation, really, in, in, in terms of in, in my career at that, that point. Um, so moving on, I was in that space for a very long time. And I would sell print advertising, online advertising, and also sponsorship for events. 
And what I found was that I really loved the whole kind of event side of things. Um, that's where I really came alive. Um, and that's because of the whole kind of connection with people. So that, that is something that's always been with me throughout all of my career. And then after I had um, my two children, I decided to do something different. I decided to leave publishing and went into exhibitions because A, I'd never done that before. Um, and B, this was an exhibition in the tech space. Yeah, are you still with me? I'm still with you. Um, yeah. So I came to a crossroads in my career where I thought, you know, tech is this next big thing, but I'm not really a tech person. I don't, I don't like the whole kind of analytics and all the rest of it. But a kind of a halfway point for me was actually being or being part of a tech event because then that still meant I still got to connect with people but not necessarily to, to, to be part of that whole kind of the tech side of things. So that was an amazing experience because I, I did something I'd never done before. So why did you want to go into, into tech at all when you've had all these years of I guess, experience in the previous industry to then move into something that's new and as you've seen it, as you said it for yourself as well, this is not something I I'm comfortable with or something, this is me stepping outside my comfort zone. Why did you decide to actually want to get involved in that space in the first place? It's because I could see that tech was going to be something big and I wanted to be a part of it, but I didn't know how. And so I just looked at actually, what is it that I currently do now? And was able to sort of try and combine the two. So that was the event side. So using my skill sets in event sponsorships, but within the tech context, if that makes sense. So that's, that's what, um, yeah, that's why I decided to do that. Mm. And in that new industry, the way things were moving in that tech world, how did you, how did you find it in terms of um, culture, change because that's a massive change for you and just adapting to the new way of, of operating yeah that was a huge learning for me actually because the 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 actual it was less about the industry for me but actually the what it was that i was selling at that point which was exhibitions and what i found from that experience was that it was very restrictive it reminded me a bit of selling the little boxes when I was working at the, uh, the national newspaper. And for me, it lacked um, the creativity aspect. I wasn't able to be able to create things for the clients I was having the conversations with because it was just so, right, this is the size of the stand. You can either have this size or that size or that's it. And after that experience, I realised that, you know what, exhibition is not for me. That was a learning. But I did get my experience with tech leaders in that space. So from that, it, from that sense, it was very inspiring because I knew that actually I wanted to do more stuff in tech, but I didn't know what that looked like. If that makes sense. No, that makes it that will do soon, sense. don't you worry. 
when you um I'm just interested actually I'm, I'm curious more than anything when you first started out selling that little ad space little square box and then you go through your career you move into exhibitions and you're back there again did any time did it feel like it was a backward step to you at all or was it just actually it's confirmation that I really don't want to be doing this at all it was never a backward step for me um, because the company I, I was working at, it was a global exhibitions company. So in that sense, it was even bigger than the company that I'd been at before. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, 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 it wasn't a backward step for me. But what it did reinforce was that feeling that I don't, I don't thrive when I'm in an environment which is very restrictive, where there is a lack of creativity. That's what I got from that experience. I realised that really I, I thrive when I'm in an environment where the leader gives me the space to be creative. If I'm able to share ideas about something, um, the leader's able to, to listen and hear that and, and see what's possible. So from that experience, I really learned, I learned a lot about what, I don't, A, where I don't thrive and what, yeah, where I can add value. So that is a very valuable experience for me. Yeah, that's, um, that's why I kind of highlighted it because I think there are times in life where we have experiences and it can sometimes feel like Groundhog Day and we're going through the same thing over and over again. And we don't take the time to actually recognise that mm. actually this is a lesson and experience for us to understand that actually this is what we do like, this is what we don't like. Rather than focusing on I'm back here again, the way and the perspective you just shared is very, very powerful. And that's how you grow and develop and understand yourself a lot better. For me, it always goes back to that quote that Steve Jobs had, that you can't connect dust looking forward, you can only connect dust looking backwards. And that's what it's about, being able to weave and be like, actually, I didn't like this previously, but actually there's a lot I gained from it. And now I'm doing something similar again. There's a lot more I've understood about myself and apply that growth mentality, that growth mindset, which is what you've just kind of demonstrated. And in terms of um, leaders then, creating that space and giving that space to be able to be creative, is that something that you've found in the different organizations and sectors you've worked with a lot of leaders are create that space and that culture to do that or is that something that's been hard to come by it's very um it's been very mixed actually it's been very mixed i think i was fortunate that when i um so when i first started my career and i was working on the uh, the the um the national newspaper that leader wasn't particularly um, creative. There, is no, there isn't really any creativity when you're selling classified advertising, let's be honest. It's only set sizes and in a set, in a set way. So, so therefore, I guess the leader didn't really have much scope to be able to provide that for the team. Um, but um, yeah, as I say, it's been very mixed. And when I reflect on my career, where I was thriving was in the environments where the leader created that space. So like on that first day at the global publishing company and hearing from that founder that it's absolutely okay to make mistakes, but just don't make the same ones and understand your customer. If we don't have a product or a platform, create it. 
you know, what more could you ask for? And just being able to hear that on the first day, I think that set me, that set me up, really. So always, I've always been um, seeing opportunities and looking at ways that I can add value to my clients. Um, but I think it's really important as leaders to be able to create that space for your team so that they feel that they can come with a suggestion and that it will be heard. It might not be possible, but at least, you know, let the, the, the person that shares that, let them be heard and explore possibilities. If it's, if it's something that can't be done, fair enough. If it is, even great, even better, should I say. Is that how you would define leadership to you or do you have a different definition of leadership? That's a good question. I think for me, leadership is so many things, but the key part of leadership is empowering your people. To be able to empower them, you're going to get so much more than you could ever get as an individual leader trying to hog power or trying to withhold information. That's so true. So how does that then show up for for you in the different roles that you've had the teams that you've run how do you create that that space and i guess share that power with um your people to empower them and to make them to feel like you felt when that first leader spoke to you about you can, you can fail but just don't keep on doing it and caring about your customers wow that's a great question um so currently, in my role now, <laughs> um, I do work with, you know, I work with senior leaders and entrepreneurs um, so that they can increase the representation in their content through the representation in their content through storytelling. And that could be, you know, through video, through online blogs or through online events, you know, like the panel, um, the panel lineup. And so wherever I, I work or whoever I work with, I always try and create that space so that, well, in the first instance, I make sure I work with people that value difference. That's also, um, you know, a lesson you learn going through your career. Whose ears are actually open to listen to you? So for me, one of the first steps is working with people that actually value difference. They might not know where to get that difference from, but they are open to it and they do value it. And so as a result of that, when I try and create the space and share insights from my perspective or from my background or experiences, they tend to be open to that because that ordinarily would not be on their radar. Do you intentionally go in and have conversations with them about being more open or are they already open and then you're going in to support them to create that space and make it 
bigger and change because especially when you talk to our representation in, in media we know that's a massive a massive issue that lacks a lot of um inclusivity mm. and a lot of um people in the industry who don't either see it as a problem or haven't done anything about it for years so i'm just curious as to how do those conversations kind of start for you and how do you identify who the right people are to work with that's such a great question so you don't the, the thing is you you won't know the extent to which someone is open until you have a conversation so i can't go through my linkedin and go right okay this person's open i'm going to i'm going to um link up with them or that person they look like they're open so it's just really for me it's connecting with people and finding out what's happening in their world that's where i start the conversation to find out what's happening in their world. And when they're open in that sense, you'll be able to hear maybe some of the challenges that they're facing from a business perspective, or maybe even from a, you know, an individual perspective. And it's through that conversation then I can obviously share with them what I've been working on and some of the people I've worked with in the diversity and inclusion space over the past eight years. Why is um, DNI so important to you? So DNI is so important to me because from as long as I can remember, I've only ever been the only person on my team that looks like me. And for a long time, that was normal. I didn't know any other way. That's, you know, that's just how things were. I mean, I went to a, a school where I was the only black person um, for like five years in the whole school. And so as a result of that, wait, wait, when I wait, now wait, went wait, into wait, the wait, workplace, wait, wait, that just wait, seemed... Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> <laughs> In the Why whole, laughing? in the whole school, yeah. Raw. How how was that experience? <laughs> that that was. Do you know what? That was really interesting experience because I used to live in Hackney before, right? Which is very diverse, and um, so my dad, who was a GP at the time, he then got a new role at um, a surgery in Hertfordshire. Um, and so when he said, oh, we're going to be moving and stuff, I'm just thinking, yeah, it's great. New school, whatever, whatever. I'm not really, I'm not thinking deep, you know, when you're 13, you're just like, yeah, new school. I was going to a girl's school in Hackney and I knew that this was a mixed school. So I was like, oh, different. Yep. Yeah, cool. But what I didn't realise was when we moved there was that I was literally the only black girl in the whole school. So that was a bit different. Um, but you know what? When I look back on that whole period, I don't have any negative memories. I felt like I had a very positive school experience. Like I wasn't bullied. I never, I didn't experience anything that I could uh, tangibly say, you know, I've experienced racism. Mm. It was a very positive experience for me. 
So that's what I mean that, you know, I guess I'd gotten used to that over the five years, that that then became my reality. And then I went to uni and then, you know, I started my career. And thereafter, when especially sort of working in publishing, I'd, I've always been the only person that looked like me. So it was just kind of like more of the same. I, it wasn't something I questioned. Mm. Now, it wasn't until, um, you know, after I left the exhibition um, role, I went and worked uh, with another publisher. But this was um, working on um, events that really showcased women as role models trailblazing women. So it was when I started working on that role, I was headhunted by a gender diversity company to go and work for them. And that was new to me. I'd never, I didn't even know what gender diversity was. Um, so, you know, after a couple of conversations, I did land that role. And this opened up this new world for me, that actually that there was events in which were attended by women with female panellists, female audience, and it just had a different vibe. Because obviously, having worked in publishing, and I was working on brands in um, finance, so like accountancy and also financial directors, um, it was very male, it was very middle-aged, and it was very white. So going from that and into the gender diversity world, I didn't even know that that could... I didn't even know that was possible. So it really showed me a different side um, yeah, to what was possible. And now I've forgotten your original question. My original question was, why was um, inclusion diversity so important to you? And you've, you've actually already answered it anyway, going from that shift of you in school to working to actually get in that role. And when you, I guess, got into that role of, of gender diversity and you got headhunted and you started to look at things differently what was that shift that happened personally for you that has actually changed your, your view going forward? Yeah, it was just being in that space with other women and just having different energy, really. But also, for me, it, it gave me a purpose. You know, it wasn't just that I'm in a role where I'm selling a product and, you know, it's very, I don't know, not kind of transactional, but this just had more of a purpose to it. I could see the impact that this business was having and going to have in the future for women and their careers. And as a result of that, I was very driven and inspired to want to make a difference in, you know, in, in what I was offering to clients. And that's why you now focus on increasing the representation of women in male-dominated industries now. Yes. So not just women in male-dominated industries, but underrepresented groups or communities, individuals. Because I've always been very curious about the stories that aren't told or we're not hearing, you know. So with one of my clients, they um, have a mental health and well-being tech platform and they had a variety of stories because they were based in a particular um, area in Scotland a lot of the stories were based around you know like addiction or domestic violence and they're all very powerful and insightful stories and when I looked at the platform I saw that there was a gap there because we could 
also do with giving a platform and increasing the diversity of the stories that were being told and also the storytellers. So, for example, you know, mental health from a black male perspective. What does that look like if you're diagnosed with um, bipolar disorder? What does it look like if you are a carer of uh, two parents with dementia? But hearing that from the perspective of a black female, mm. just sort of broadening, broadening the scope of the stories. And for me, that's where my passion lies because often there's so many stories that we don't get to hear and it's good to have that balance and it's good to give people access to those insights to help build empathy to help reduce fear, to help educate. That's why I'm so passionate about it. So true. And um, just speaking of stories, you're an author. You, you wrote your book, which came out last year, The Adventures of Amma and Pequesi in Barbados. And um, one, hats off to you, because I know writing ain't easy. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> but... Um, from when did you when did you decide to write the book and why did you decide to write the book so it's coming up to 10 years now actually i was on a maternity leave um and it was the the summer of the london riots so it was that summer and i used to read lots of stories to my daughter who was three at the time and after a while, the penny just sort of dropped that actually none of the characters in those stories looked like her. So I just kind of asked myself the question, you know, why don't any of the characters look like my daughter? And wouldn't it be great if somebody could actually write a book with like African Caribbean characters? And in that moment, I wasn't thinking that person would be me, right? Because I'm on maternity leave. My background's in business development. I sell sponsorship and whatever, whatever, online print, and that, that's where my head's at, and I'm now on maternity leave. So that wasn't my problem. That was for somebody else to do. Now, it wasn't until, fast forward four years, when I started working at the Gender Diversity Company and I came across a piece of research which talked about um, some of the things that impact a woman's career, that the penny dropped and then I was making the connections so when I read the report it said you know one of the things that impacts a woman's career is the lack of role models so if a woman works in an organization where she doesn't see any senior women she doesn't think it's possible to actually reach that level and in that moment I realized that actually that question I asked myself on maternity leave was linked. I'd actually identified the lack of role models in children's stories. So I couldn't put this into context because A, I didn't have the vocabulary diversity and inclusion. B, I didn't see myself as an author. So I wasn't going to be the person that solved that problem. Um, and C, yeah, I'm just on maternity leave, you know? That re um, reminds me of I'm not sure if it was a quote or a parable or whatever, where it was basically like, who's going to solve this? And you had like multiple hands 
pointing in different directions and no one actually wanted to kind of take um take ownership of it and it's always interesting when we think about things and we're like that would be great if someone actually did something about that but a lot of times we don't think we are that person because we have put boxes or put ourselves into boxes saying that's not me that's not what I do that's not how I operate I'm not an author so how did you then step into that that role of owning the fact that actually I am an author and I am the person who can write about this and change this? Yeah. So what happened was um, in 2016, I decided to work for myself. So I left the gender diversity company and um, I decided that I'm going to work for myself. And this was based on the fact that whilst I was at the gender diversity company, I used to attend a lot of events. Um, that I was telling you about with the f- really inspiring female speakers. And a lot of the time, the, the, the thing that kept coming through was, you know, own your career trajectory. Own it. And I thought, you know what? I've always wanted to work for myself. Maybe this is the time. I'd identified that there were a number of female business owners setting up and wanting to serve in the whole kind of diversity and inclusion space. Um, And some of them, A, didn't have the time or the capacity to be able to do the whole kind of business development aspect. And I felt that actually that's where I could add value. And so I decided that in 2016, that was what I was going to do. And by doing that, stepping out and doing that, that then gave me the space also to be creative. And after a lot of encouragement from my husband, he was like, Joyce, you've been talking about this book for a while now. This is your ideal time to just start writing it so I did and I just did you know a few pages every day and eventually I wrote it and um yeah I did some googling you know literally how to write a children's book because I didn't know (laughs) so I I I took little steps in order to help me and then I thought Joyce don't get too clever Use what you have. So I decided that I was going to set the story in Barbados because there weren't many books set in Barbados and that's actually part of my heritage. I decided that the characters were going to have Ghanaian names because I remember as a child I'd be very embarrassed by by my Ghanaian name and I thought actually, you know, there's other children out there with Ghanaian names. This hopefully will make them be proud of their names. So I decided that And the third thing I did was I decided to base it, the characters on my children, because interestingly, by that time, they'd grown up quite a bit. So this is a story I could never have written five years prior because the kids were way too young to even have the conversations for me to even have a story. Because, yeah, because the story is based on their relationship with each other as well brother and sister and lots of arguments and that kind of stuff so that's when I decided that's what I was going to do and then I set myself on that journey Uh, what I didn't know was the journey was going to take me eight years but I did it I got there in the end that's the main thing see it doesn't matter it took you eight years or not what matters is the fact that you Mm. did it you're a published author and so, like I said before, so many times we can focus on the goal, but it's actually yeah. who you become 
on that journey to achieve that goal that's so 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 important Absolutely. and um how did your kids feel about being featured in in a book yeah they were quite happy i mean at the time they were quite young but then as they've gone up grown up my daughter's she's all about if you ask permission about this if you ask permission about that and she, she was like you didn't ask me permission i'm like oh my god here we go <laughs> this is what i'm getting now <laughs> disclaimers <laughs> no but they 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 are tough they are tough now you've got the writing bug are you going to write another one yeah absolutely i started the uh, book two during lockdown last year um so that's going to be set in ghana so uh, definitely they're going to be going on lots of adventures <laughs> What would you do when your kids come knocking at your door for royalties? Pay them. <laughs> Otherwise, it, it just won't be worth living. So. And now that you, um, you talked about stepping outside your comfort zone previously when you moved into that tech exhibition kind of world, you stepped outside of your comfort zone and you became an author, you wrote a book. Is this something that comes naturally to you? Because you also speak you speak on on panels and on webinars and different things like that so would you say you're naturally a confident growth-minded kind of person who takes on new challenges in your stride or how have you managed to get to where you get to right now and do what you do um i would say i get through what i get through through resistance it's not um you know who who wants to go through change with a smile on their face. No one does, you know? Um, so I've, I've just had to adapt this mindset that by taking an action, something will come of it. Either I learn, I don't, I don't like it, or I learn something that I do like about it and can tweak it for the next time. But a key part actually of being able to consciously step out of my comfort zone was by investing in a coach. And I did that three years ago. And that has helped me grow and develop massively because I keep having to do, you know, keep taking actions on things that feel very uncomfortable. But in the end, when I do it, I will gain something on the other side, whether it's insights, whether it's a new, a new uh, passion, a new skill, I will gain something at the end of the day. It's, you know, it's all a learning. Why did you decide to work with a coach? Yeah, because I identified that there were, there were gaps in my, in my learnings, in my, in my knowledge. And I had certain limitations and actually by working with a coach, she's helped me to shift the perceptions I, I have had of myself and, again, be able to take ownership. So the whole taking ownership had been in kind of baby steps with the book and with certain parts of my career. And then when I started working with the coach, Ownership was one of the things that kept coming through. And that's where, you know, I got my breakthrough. 
when I take ownership of something, I get some really powerful and amazing results. And so that causes me to keep taking an action. So if I'm working on a project, it's looking at, for me, it's looking at what's missing. How can I add value here? And so I take an action, whether I share that um, identified uh, gap with a leader or a team member, and then we work together to be able to create a solution to what's missing. The impact of that then becomes absolutely amazing. Yeah, that is, I think being able to see you take steps, you see the results. And then that motivates you to keep on going and working on that particular thing is is very, very important. Because if not, it's just, oh, that person's saying that, or that's just theory-based, and it doesn't really come alive or resonate with you. But when you actually start to see the results based on the actions that you're taking, based on the coaching mm. sessions you're having, then it really, really sticks. And obviously, like you said, motivates you to keep on to keep on going. Yeah, and just going back to the whole kind of speaking aspect as well, I did find speaking was complete cringe. It's just something that made me feel really... (laughs) But it's one of those things, once you do it, and the more you do it, the easier it gets, really and truly. So you just have to, you know, get yourself out of the way and do a speaking gig and the more you do it the, the the less fearful you become of it but um it is all about practicing at the end of the day what was the um what was your first time speaking like like before you got on stage during and afterwards what was that like for you as you've asked me that question that that whole feeling has come back you know, I can feel the fear at the pit of my stomach right now. And it's just, um, what's the word? Yeah, I'm just, I'm starting to feel quite tense. That, that's how I would feel. And um, yeah, the fear at the pit of my stomach, feeling quite tense, um, having a dry throat, just feeling very, very scared. Um, but what I found, and this was such a great nugget someone shared, because I think the first time when I did it, I'd been rehearsing or I'd written my notes and everything, and I said things the wrong way round or something, and then I apologised. And at the end, a lady came up to me and she said, Joyce, you know something? We don't know what you're going to say, so just say it anyway. And I was like, oh, yeah, they don't. So I really took that on board. And even though you do as much prep as you can, nobody actually knows what you're going to say. So if you miss a bit out, it really isn't a big deal because you've delivered the message, you've delivered what you're going to say, and it is enough. That is so, so true. And that's, I'm glad someone actually shared that because that's how I think. Like when you're, when you're on stage, no one knows what you're saying. They're going with the flow, they're listening, they're hopefully engaged. So 
you can yeah. say whatever you want and for yeah. them it'll it all sounds like this is part of your the script or this is part of what you've rehearsed but you know what you're thinking in your head and i know i've been on stage a lot of times like oh that's not what i wanted to say or i wanted to connect this way but i'm like but they don't know so they keep on going yeah. <laughs> you just keep on flowing all the way through yes <laughs> exactly 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 and the, the more you do it the easier it gets right the easier it gets I mean, that whole, the, 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 the fear aspect probably doesn't ever go. It just becomes mm. less. And because you're, because I'm now aware of it, I know what that is. I know what to call it. So then I know how to respond to it. Whereas before, when you're not aware, you're not fully aware of it, you can get consumed by that feeling of fear. Yeah. I mean, I was once told if you go and speak and you don't have fear, you shouldn't be doing it. Because that fear is part of the process. It's what makes you think, I really want to do a good job. So if you ever turn up and you don't have some mm. sort of feeling of fear, then don't do it. Mm. That is so interesting. And I am always curious to learn, obviously you've been, you've been married for a while. You've got two beautiful kids what's the biggest lesson you've learnt from marriage that's helped you oh wow great question so many lessons <laughs> <laughs> share them share the nuggets <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, yeah. Okay, I'll share them. I'll share. I'll share some. One is to understand your partner, and that might seem simple, and you might think, "Oh, yeah, I know them." But in the same way, in the business context, your your clients' needs change changes over time and so your partner's needs and wants also change so it's being present to that and I think in the first part of our, my marriage there was less awareness around that um, but I've gotten better of um, yeah understanding yeah, their needs and, yeah, their wants, definitely. I don't always get it right, but um, it's a work in progress, that one. And also, communication. Communication in what way? In every way. You know, in... in in conversations <laughs> it's what you're listening for I mean you know if we're having a conversation how am I interpreting what my husband says or is saying because based on that interpretation I will then take an action on that and actually I might have interpreted it the wrong way so I might take it to be personal and then start acting 
in accordance to that, well, when actually that wasn't the messaging at all. So then you need to have another conversation to clear things up so that actually we're both on the same page, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. And that's the reason why I actually ask questions about relationships, because both of the nuggets you've just shared, they have not only a practical application to our personal lives and our relationships with our partners, but also on the business side, if you apply both of those things, they'll make such a massive difference to the relationships that you have, to the teams, your colleagues, your culture, all of those kind of flow in. Because I think for so long we had that split between life and home. But actually, a lot of the lessons that we learned from, from home, if you apply them to work, <laughs> it will create the environments mm. we want to see. We create that inclusive psychologically safe um, environments that we want to actually see more and more of. Absolutely. And with your, um, would you say your parenting style has changed over the years as, as you've grown and as you've evolved as a person? Yeah, I would definitely say so. Definitely. I would certainly say... Um, Since I started working in the DNI space as well, being really conscious conscious of the 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 differences and some of you know some of the the things that impact women, I've been you know especially well around confidence around not putting yourself forward for things. Um, I've really tried to encourage that for both of my children but particularly for my daughter you know and also around having a voice being vocal and sharing if you have ideas or if someone's doing something that you know you're not happy with or you don't agree with put your um put your opinions forward so definitely I've become more conscious around that and really encourage both my children around that, but particularly my my daughter because of what I've been learning in the whole kind of DNI space. So yeah, definitely, definitely it has. And also, I really encourage them to be curious, and that's something I learned, you know, whilst I was being coached and part of being on the leadership program because it's when you have that curiosity you then step out and either do some research on whatever it is that you've you've kind of discovered or reach out and have a conversation with somebody it just it causes you to take an action and I encourage my children to be curious and as a result I get asked so many questions which can be really like tricky like loads of really tricky questions sometimes I'm thinking well calm down um but I guess that that was definitely a piece that was missing in my uh childhood that wasn't something that was encouraged curiosity you know when you ask questions that was probably seen as you challenging um a parent or something and so yes that's definitely impacted how I um bring up my children definitely 
looking at the way that I guess and we were we were raised by our parents and the generation of our kids coming up have you been intentional about doing things differently obviously they were good and bad but you've been intentional about doing things differently with your children rather than just repeating how you saw parenting done i know you just mentioned curiosity and being intentional about that but i'm just thinking are there other ways where you've been very intentional around your parenting yes absolutely so um when i started working in the gender diversity space and um i really became present to the fact that there's this huge gap in tech uh you know there wasn't really a lot of women getting into the tech space and actually in order for us to be able to create and innovate in tech we need lots of different people around the table um and so i became aware of um an organization called stemets which is very much around um engaging young girls particularly with um, science, technology, engineering and maths. And at the time, they used to run lots of different um, events, I think on a monthly basis. Um, and so from the time my daughter was five, I've been taking her to STEMETS events. So she's very aware of the whole kind of the, the, the world of STEM and what's available to her. So I've just kind of sowed those seeds that if that was something she wanted to do, it's there. And as my son got older, I would drag him along as well because, we, you know, I just try and take both kids to the same thing because lack of time and all the rest of it. So if, if his older sister's going to a STEMETS event, he's coming along with, him, with us. So he used to go to STEMETS as well. And as a result, he's now also aware of what's available in STEM. And so that was definitely an a, a intentional action that I took but it's something I would never have been able to know about had I not been working in the DNI space at that time because I just wasn't aware of it. Oh, that's intriguing and are they when they think about their features is it something linked to STEM that they want to operate in or is it the fact that they've just got a broader knowledge now to be able to make a better informed decision? Uh, interestingly, my daughter, she said she's interested in being a cosmeticologist. And that's because she heard from one who was a speaker at a STEMET event. And my son says he wants to be a scientist. So. Oh, wow. There you go. And they're 13 and 10. Obviously, things can change. But at this present time, that's what's of interest to them oh, that is brilliant that is brilliant i guess my my last question to you would be what does success look like to you great question success looks like being able to being able to work in a space where I can have an impact, both socially, yeah, I can, I can, I can make a social impact, but also to be able to have that space to spend with my family, 
spend time with my family. It's that balance between being able to do meaningful work, work that has a purpose, that creates an impact socially, but also ultimately being able to be there for my family. That's what success looks like for me. I love that. I really, really love that. And I really resonate with that. So, um, and I just want to say thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your story um, from the origins where you are right now, the passion and the purpose behind what you do, what you're creating and putting out in the world. And I'm going to put um, all the details about where you can find out about the book, where you can buy the book and support the book, where you can find out more about Joyce. All of that will be in the show notes. So make sure you do get the book and the new one coming out. You know, when is that actually due out? Or when are you due to publish? I'm looking at towards the end of this year, okay. 2021. Okay. You heard it here. 2021 Christmas. Good present. So look out for that one as well. You never know. You never know. Joyce, it's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure. Really appreciate your time today. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. This is Everyday Leadership. I'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Everyday Leadership. You can check out the show notes on www.mindsetshift.co.uk forward slash podcast where you can find out more about my guests and how you can contact them. You can listen to old episodes or if you have a question about this episode or any other episodes, you can just press a button and ask me a question and I'll answer it on the next episode don't forget to subscribe comment share this podcast with someone else we'll see you next time in everyday leadership